0: What's up, Internet? You're tuned in to episode 23 of the Video Game Pals, the Pals Network's weekly video game podcast, where four lifelong gamers get together to talk about video games, the news, and how it all makes us feel. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined today by Asgard's own Robert Thompson. <laughs> Thanks, man. I like that one. <laughs> and the saltiest sea dog I've ever sailed with, Captain Sean Bartley. <laughs> <It's>
1: fucking
0: awful. <laughs> Pete,
2: you're really nailing it. Oh, this
1: is good. Uh, how's everybody doing this week? Terrible now. <laughs> i'm exhausted i was in a great mood i was ready
2: to talk
0: about games and you just ruined it Ugly. i mean i said that you were the saltiest dog i ever sailed with man i'm i'm proud to to call
2: you uh a member of my crew nope <laughs> don't worry we'll fly a country flag so it's not like we're pirates or anything We're just on a boat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So as you guys can see, Andy isn't with us this
0: week as he's helping friend of the show Mike McMahon move. But he will be back to hold down the fort next week while the three of us are spending the weekend in New York Comic Con with the rest of the comic pals. So you guys can tune into our YouTube channel for all kinds of cool stuff from the convention show floor. Uh, We're going to try and check out some games and stuff while we're there. So uh, we'll have more to talk about on that two weeks from now. So keep your eyes peeled. But uh, we'll have stuff on YouTube probably as early as next week. So check it out. Um, So, we're going to start the show the way we always do, by talking about what we're playing this week. Uh, anybody want to kick it off?
1: I played very little this week, actually. Uh, a little bit of all the same stuff, though, to be honest. Just the usual. Uh, trying, to, trying to level up in Injustice, um, <clears throat> but spending more time watching than actually playing, just because, you know, when you're trying to get better at games, to me... Actually playing is often one of the worst things you can do just because uh, if you suck, then you're only going when you're playing, you're only going to continue to play into your bad habits and learning how to break those you can't do if you don't know how. And so for me, watching people play and learning the things that they do that you don't do, uh, how to avoid things that you get hit by. All that stuff is super important, so I probably spent more time watching Injustice this week than playing it, but to me, that's still improvement, so there's that. Um Warcraft, same old, same old, just working on trying to beat the same boss. Um, it's been a grind. And Heroes, not too much to report in that. Just kind of the same stuff. Cool,
0: cool. What about you, Thompson?
1: Really dead week because I'm super
2: busy, but... Uh... I played Stellaris, and boy, did I play Stellaris. Like, every time I got a chance, I played Stellaris. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I did one round of PUBG this week, and it was right before bed. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to just gonna play one game, you know? Like, come on, just just one little thing, you know, spice up my life and fuck around and die for ten, you know, ten places in, whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, I just kept hiding in this shed that happened to be in the circle the whole game, and uh, next thing I knew, ten people were left, and... I I was like, oh, five people left? I like, I should take this seriously. Um Best thing about this game, I didn't kill anyone. Right at the end, I was running getting shot at by this other dude across the field and he just died outside the circle because he just didn't move <laughs> like a foot in and he did I guess he didn't realize he was getting hit, like in damage. So passive win. And uh I slept very well that night. <laughs> That's so <laughs> fucking hilarious. Hours. That's great. <laughs> solid three hours. Yeah, I didn't wake up once, it was great. Uh,
0: but then, um, you also, uh, had, what is it, um, I can is it Dawn of War, Warhammer 2? Oh, right?
2: no, Total War, Warhammer 2, yeah. Total
0: War, Warhammer 2,
2: okay. Yeah, I, I played that too, God, that was, that was the other all thing. All those names. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's an awful name, right? Um. It's
0: just like, it's, it's. It's not an inherently bad name. It's just so many games in that genre have very similar names that I'm just like, I don't know which one's
2: which, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I just surname and say it's like Warhammer, you know? This right, Warhammer Two. Yeah, at this point. Um,
0: but yeah. So, so I know on launch day you were experiencing a lot of problems. Yeah, um, you said it a wasn't even like technical fixed?
2: problems. It was like it was just like gripes, I guess, because like things. That just didn't make sense. Like, the color palette was off for some reason, and it, like, fixed later on. Uh, I didn't change any settings. I don't know why it fixed. Um, Hmm. Oh, God. Like, the unit controls was weird for a minute. Like, the way you move things, like, uh, they didn't stretch out all the way they used to. So, like, that was an odd design choice. And then all of a sudden, I was able to do that again. I'm like, oh, okay. So, (laughs) everything I'm complaining about is getting fixed somehow within, like, the first day. And I didn't see patches, like, through Steam come in. So, I, I really don't know what was up with that. But, uh, you know, it's huh. it's fun. It's got a whole new side of the map, like, the world, you know? So two, like, three, actually, continents are added, uh, four races. But the only thing I'm disappointed is I can't play with the other races in this game, too. So it's, like, all the fighting between the four races is just bef- just them, you know?
0: Yeah, and, like, they, they promised that originally, right?
2: Yeah, and if... I mean, if I read it correctly, it seems like they said they're gonna add that in now. It's like, yeah, it's, like, that's coming, but... I was never told that was coming. I was told, like, that's going to be here. Like, you're going to play that. Right, right. So, <laughs> a couple things. Yeah, like, they things. promised that it was going to be, like, a day...
0: They seem to imply it was going to be a day one thing, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, huh. it, it's Creative Assembly, and, like, their company's known for doing this kind of shit, so it's, like, eh, part for the sure. course. But, you know, I think that they'll, like... This is, like, their flagship game, kind of. Like, Warhammer was, was pretty damn successful for them uh, in a lot of ways that, like, they didn't expect, so I don't think they're going to, like, let this tank, you know?
0: Oh yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they'll get it figured out.
2: Yeah, but a little disappointing. Otherwise, good. Yeah, game. it's always
0: unfortunate when a game that you've been waiting for comes out and stumbles. Like even if they get around to fix it, like you know,
2: that yeah, moment of being excited for it was kind of ruined. It's yeah, it's strange because they like if you pre-ordered it, you got a free race that's like ten dollars, which um, it's it's worth almost the ten bucks, you know. Um, sure. but it's only on, it's only playable right now in the first game. So that's kind of strange because they're a faction that you're fighting also in the second game, and I thought I'd be able to use them, you know. But I'm only able. It's like I don't want to play the new race in the old game. I want to play in the new game. Damn it, you know, (laughs) on the new Mm. map, you know, like what the hell is this shit? (laughs) So yeah, yeah, that is weird. It is a little strange. But yeah, that's been it.
0: Yeah, that's it. Just those. Cool, cool. Uh, For me, it's um, been. not, like, light. I've been playing a lot. It's just not a lot to talk about, I guess. Um, the the main thing I, I really have been playing is um, Dishonored Death of the Outsider, which Ooh, is yeah. uh, the new, um, you know, kind of, like, $40 spinoff Dishonored game, which is, like, a trend I'm really into right now, um, where you're playing as... Um, Billy Lurk who was a, a a character in some of the first games DLC she's a main character in Dishonored 2 and then now you're finally uh getting to play her in Dis- in Death of the Outsider and uh I mean it's fucking phenomenal. You know I mean it's it's just Dishonored 2's engine with new levels and new powers but um I mean what's wrong with that? You know like that's uh it, for a game like Dishonored I think it's such a perfect fit because um, the story of Dishonored is 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 good enough, but like it's really more the setting and like the world and the way that you interact with it that really makes Dishonored's experience what it is. You know, like when you boil down the narrative of the original Dishonored, it's like okay, like you're the emperor, uh, the empress's like you know guard and lover. She gets murdered, you get framed for it, and then you go and assassinate a bunch of people. You know, and it's like, that's basically the story. And it's it's all of the stuff around it that's fleshed out well that makes that work. So in Dishonored, moving to a character we already have history with that has a connection to the stuff that's already been going on and getting a new story with her that has nothing to do with like Corvo um, or Emily, but does deal with like the broader story that we've been like kind of going through um, is totally appropriate. That no, sounds you know, like
2: what I wanted, you know? It sounds like right yeah, where I it's, wanted it's that,
0: perfect. It's the perfect candidate for something like this. Um, because all it is is just new levels, and, like, so far, it's great. I mean, I'm almost... I, th- I think I'm 75% of the way through the game, and um, there's a, uh, a bank heist level that I think is, <laughs> like, one of the best Dishonored levels ever. You know, like, it's up there with, like, the... Um, if Andy was here, he'd remember the name of it. But it's the, like, clockwork house or something like that. It's the, like, you know, crazy gear house in Dishonored 2. Or, like, the, um, the Caldwins party. Not Caldwins, is it? The sisters party in the first game. Yeah,
2: it's not them, because that's Emily's name.
0: Yeah, no, we're the Caldwins, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, damn it, what are they called? Whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Where, you, you know, you have to There's go and, like, assassinate sisters. the sisters. Yeah, um, so... It's great, and I, I'm really glad that, like... Dishonored kind of got this final send off because I fucking love Dishonored. It's one of my favorite franchises, and like, it's really sad that this seems like this is going to be the end of it for the foreseeable future. You know, it's like <clears throat> obviously it has never been a game that set the world on fire sales wise. It had a diehard fan it, it uh, fan base, and it reviewed well, but it never quite became a marquee title like I wanted it to, or like Bethesda clearly wanted it to. Right. Um. So I think they're probably going to shelf it for a while you know if not forever um and you know we'll see arcane move on to other things like prey which also underperformed so that's great but (laughs) um i'm really glad that we at least got this last little taste of it because like i fucking love dishonored and
2: i'd play a game like this every year if they made it do you think that there's actually a chance in that game that you're gonna be able to kill the outsider because it seems monumentally impossible
0: I don't know yet because the mission I'm on right now is, without spoiling anything, it it is the thing that lets that is like being like, oh, I think we'll be able to kill the outsider this way. I figured there'd be. I don't know yet. Gimmick. I don't know if I'm gonna get to that gimmick and be like, be like, oh fuck, it's not gonna work. What
2: are we gonna do? Okay, right. Yeah. I
0: don't know. That's
2: cool though. I mean, like you're far enough in that you still don't know. That's that's what I was. I didn't know if, like, right off the bat they were just, like, two seconds in, here, we're going to, like, put this neutron bomb up his butt, and he's dead, you know, so, like, it's yeah. cool. Yeah, no, no, the story's really
0: good, and um, mild, mild spoiler for the game. If you really don't want a spoiler, just skip ahead, to, like, literally ten seconds. Uh, you'll be really happy because Dowd's in it, so. Oh, I know he's in it.
2: He's in the trailer. Okay.
0: Oh yeah, he was in one of the. Tra- okay, never mind. Sorry, I wasn't a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, yeah. And then the other thing I, I picked up was I'm-, I'm still playing Pokemon Silver. Um, I'm I'm trucking away at that. I've got s- um I'm on the seventh badge now in Johto, so I'm gonna knock. I'm at like Lake of Rage, so I got to go do the Red Gyarados stuff, knock out Team Rocket, all that stuff. Um, but then the other thing I've really been uh, getting into was I got to play uh, Cuphead for the first time, where it came out on um Friday you know, so, like, for us, it's, I guess, two days ago now, and, um, I got into it last night, I kind of just barely scratched the surface, uh, because I, um, got into it and played, like, the very first boss encounter that I could get to, and I had to play it, like, a bunch of times because the game's really hard. I don't think anyone who's been following it would be surprised to hear that, like, it's succeeding aesthetically, you know, the art is great, um, the music is really good, and it, like, it all, it hits so many, like, perfect that era of animation notes that if you have any familiarity with those kinds of cartoons even casually um you'll pick up on and appreciate but uh i'm really happy to report that like the gameplay is tight you know like it, it's fun it's really really fucking hard and I, it had this really satisfying loop where I was playing it and I was getting my ass kicked and I was just like, ah, oh, fuck, this is, like, way too hard. Like, I'm getting really frustrated. I think I want to, like, back out and go try a different thing for right now. And then, like, I remembered I wasn't using one of the skills. You know, there was, like, a dash ability that I just wasn't using. And then I was like, oh, shit. And I finally got into the rhythm of, like, how to do it and, like, where you're supposed to be looking and everything. And um, it, like, I... You know, I had that moment where you're like kind of sitting in a game and you're like, you know, laid back in your chair or whatever, and then you get like super into it, and then you're like hunched over forward and you're like (laughs) getting all, you know, like really crazy into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to getting back into it uh, later tonight when I get a chance, and um, you know, so obviously I can't speak to too much about how the game is overall. Like, I haven't experienced any of the platforming segments yet, but just for like the core, what it sold me on, which was like super hard boss boss run stuff like so far it's it's really cool and uh it seems like it was worth the wait so I'm i'll definitely have more to report on that next week and uh hopefully more about the end of uh death of the outsider
2: i can't wait to play cuphead man
0: dude yeah uh, we're gonna do a palace play for that shit like i want that out like next week so let's fucking get into it um so then beyond that you know i did my normal multiplayer stuff uh doing some league doing some pubg um, and then uh there is one other thing that Thompson and I have been playing, which has been uh something you know we haven't talked about because we wanted to keep it a secret, but uh it's Until Dawn. Yeah. Which the f- first episode of that Let's Play series that we're doing here in October will be up today, uh on YouTube, Tuesday. So every Tuesday we're putting up hour and a half-ish episodes of Until Dawn for you know the entire month. Uh, we've been having a ton of fun with it, so, uh, if you like the game, if you've never checked it out, uh, please go watch our Let's Play of it. It's a great game that I feel like not a lot of people have played, and if you're a PlayStation Plus subscriber, you got it for free, like, a month or two ago, so, perfect game to play uh, this October, um, come check it out, let us know what you think.
2: Hey, we're doing pretty good in that game, too.
0: Yeah, we're almost done. Yeah. I'm excited. We did. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh... If you guys want to let us know what you're playing this week, you can write into us um, and have your thoughts read on the air. Uh, you can give us a random question of the week. Or you can just say hey by dropping us a line at thevideogamepals at gmail.com. You can also follow our sister show at thecomicspals where your social media is sold. Stay up to date on everything we've got going on here at the Pals Network. Uh, If you're an audio listener, we would greatly appreciate it if you guys gave us a like on your platform of choice. Or if you really want to help us out, you can bounce over to iTunes where we are currently a five-star rated podcast, something of which we are very proud. And give us uh, whatever rating you think we deserve. And, uh, if you're over on YouTube, you can do us a solid like this video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, um, check out Pals Play, posting every Monday through Friday, and last but not least, the best thing you guys can do to help out the show is to share it with your pals, so they can, you know, come check out the show, you know, and, uh, become our pals too. So, for our rotating segment this week, I've got a random question of the week! <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys, in
2: honor of the release of Cuphead,
0: what is your all-time favorite platformer?
2: Well, that's easy for me, actually. Because, like, Castlevania Symphony of Night exists, and that's pretty much my favorite game ever, so... Like, the only other one, I think, for me, that would even contend would be Mega Man 7 or Mega Man X. Um, Both games are, like, equal in value to me, but they're kind of different because, obviously, X is different, so... Different games, but they're both great platformers, but you know, unfortunately Castlevania exists, so gotta pick Damn.
1: that. Um Mega Man X five or six, I think. What? So I mean I didn't really I didn't really grow up with like Mario or Donkey Kong, so those are they don't have that nostalgic hold. Um Mega Man, I, I, I don't know, man, like for me. Mega Man 8 was, like, the first real platformer that I really, really dove into hard. Um, and then when I started playing the the X series, when they released those games on the PlayStation, uh, that was, like, the pinnacle for me. I really liked that they were, they were very hard, but they were also cool as hell. Um, and just nothing has ever, nothing has eclipsed that feel that I get when I play those games to this day. Um so yeah I like the I like the fact that there are collectibles. A lot of a lot of platformers don't have they don't have things for you to collect that are like hidden secrets and stuff like that. Um whereas this game those games have them in spades. So that makes it a lot of fun. There's a lot of replay value there. There's different paths you can take in some of those games. So there's just just a lot of fun. Not options.
0: We gotta get you we gotta get you on some Metroidvania's. Sounds like <laughs> sounds like that would be very much up your alley. Symphony
2: of the Night is loaded with secret collectibles and all those other yeah, things. You, you, you just probably said.
0: you probably really like Symphony of the Night, honestly, Sean. I think that'd be a very much a Sean game. Maybe. Um so for me, it's uh since I allowed Thompson a tie, I'm gonna allow myself a tie.
2: Oh no, 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 it's not um, a tie, it's Symphony of the Night. For real, like that's... no. So
0: that's the thing. So, so hear me <laughs> out. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna give itself a tie and then actually pick one. Okay. So, um, for me, I think it it has to go to, um, Super Mario World or Shovel Knight. And I think uh, Super Mario World is like one of my favorite games of all time. You know, I have the nostalgic element that like it was the first game I ever played. But I think with um. The Mario games, specifically the original four, I think those are kind of like the benchmark by which all platformers are judged in my mind, you know, it's like when I pick up a platformer and I'm like it, getting used to how does the jump work, like how floaty is the character, like how, like what are the mechanics I have to play with and how well do they work in the context of the level design that's being presented here and like that's almost always judged for me like based on how a mario game feels so i think like that's really significant you know i think on a presentational level super mario world is like amazing i think it's in my mind it's the best of that four but i i definitely think you can make a case for super mario 3 like andy brown would right now if he were here um but There's, like, you know, a lot of the stuff that Sean was touching on, right? Like, there's secrets, there's all these different pathways, there's a lot more things for you to discover by experimentation in that game compared to other Mario games. So, for my money, that's, you know, um, the game by which all other platformers must be judged. And uh, Shovel Knight, you know, I've sung its praises time and time again. It's one of my favorite games of all time. I think it's an incredible love letter to 2D platformers. And uh, I think it, you know, it it borrows a lot from games that came before it, um, you know, in some ways mechanically, in some ways in game design, but it always meaningfully iterates on those things and then adds new things to the table that couldn't have been done in that time period uh, or just weren't, you know? And um, it's a game that, like, I you know, is constantly been on my mind since I played it the first time, you know, it's a game I go back to more frequently than any game in the past decade, uh, excluding like, you know, online services, like League, um, or something like Pokemon, right? Like, and uh, I think just like, again, across the board on a presentational level, on a level design level, on a mechanical level, on um, just the most important thing about a platformer, which is like how it feels and what are the core mechanics of how you move around the the map, uh or you know, the board, whatever you want to call it, the screen. Shovel Knight like succeeds in so many ways, and I I have to give it the the pick for me because as much as I, you know, I look at Mario World Super Mario World as like the benchmark by which they're all judged, like I like Shovel Knight because it's more challenging and It's, you know, it adds a lot more depth um, because it's not intended to be something you can play as a beginner or as a pro. You know, it's something that is definitely intended a little bit more for you to hone your chops and and really try to get good at it. Um, Which is something that as someone who plays a lot of platformers and really loves them, um, that's what really got its hooks in me for Shovel Knight. You know, is that it's amazing and also that it was like just challenging as hell, but never frustrating.
2: You know what, it sounds like Shovel Knight's the Dark Souls of platformers for you, Pete.
0: <laughs> nah, bro, that's Mega Man. It challenges you to get good. Mega Man 2, baby. That is, <laughs> Mega Man 2 is like, oof. That's one of the harder, that's one of the harder platformers I've ever played.
2: No, nah, I, I just don't like uh, how everyone says, like, Blank is the Dark Souls of something. It's like, why? Because you can oh, die yeah. in the
0: game? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Games are hard before Dark Souls, guys. Um, but alright, so that's our rotating segment this week. If you want to write in with your own random question, remember you can hit us up at the video game pals at or get us in the comments below. So, I guess that means it's time for the news, the news, we talking about the news, the news, the news, we talking about the news. Alright, so we've got a uh, pretty packed set of uh news items this week. We got nine on here, so we got a lot to get through. But uh it's 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 good stuff and a couple couple short boys. So let's dive right in. Um So, I think what is probably the most exciting piece of news uh, this week, maybe not the biggest, um, we did get the second trailer, official trailer for Red Dead Redemption 2, and uh, it was pretty revealing. So, a quote from Rockstar describes Red Dead Redemption 2 as the story of outlaw Arthur Morgan and the Vanderland gang as they rob, fight, and steal their way across the vast and rugged heart of America in order to survive. Uh, so this confirms the uh, the long-running fan theory ever since we got our first teaser image that the game is a prequel. Um, the trailer shows Dutch Vanderlyn, who was the leader of the gang that we were charged with hunting down in the original Red Dead, uh, in the trailer. He's going to be one of the main characters in the game, and we're going to be running with his gang. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe that means we'll see, like, a young John Marston show up at some point, which would be pretty cool, at least for a nod. Um, so the trailer didn't give us any updates on the game's release, but we did learn from Rockstar months ago when they first announced that the game was being delayed, that Red Dead Redemption 2 would release sometime after April 1st, 2018, in the 2019 fiscal year. So, what do you guys think about this? Did you get a chance to check out the trailer?
1: I, I saw it, um, I, I didn't play Red Dead Redemption Part 1, so I have no connection to this. It looks good, graphically, you know, um. <laughs> to be honest, I, I, I'm I'm not a fan of pirates. I'm also not really a big fan of westerns, so oh, this... <laughs> man, I got, I got your back on that. Yeah, dude. this don't worry. this doesn't do really <laughs> anything for me at all. But... You don't
0: think there's any chance you'll play
1: this one because you haven't played the first one? Oh, I think that makes it even less likely I'll play this one.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm like really not a fan of westerns in any way. Like it's never appealed to me, and I found red dead to be like a surprising hit you know like i didn't get it for years and i played the undead nightmare expansion because it was zombies right it's like oh the game mechanics are fun maybe i'll pick up the original game for like five bucks and you know i loved it but this goes back to what i was saying about rockstar games right i i feel like they're just good games in general and just because i don't like the west stuff doesn't mean that like red dead was going to be bad so i didn't care about this trailer like i was already kind of sold on the idea you know I'm definitely not getting it right away because it's gonna be huge and like I don't have money right now, so it's like sixty bucks is a big thing for not playing something. But sure, this game's gonna be good, you know. I uh, I was already hyped about it, you know. It could come out like in ten years; it'll be fine. Whatever day it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'm gonna
0: be there day one whenever it comes out. You know, Red Dead Redemption is one of my all-time favorite games. Um, I I really like Rockstar as uh as a development I mean as a publisher, but like their specifically their development teams, I think they their style of games is really good. And I like Grand Theft Auto fine, but I don't love Grand Theft Auto. Uh in the same way that you guys are like lukewarm about the West, I'm kind of lukewarm about like modern crime as a setting. You know, like I, I feel like it it's a little played out. You don't like PA two? Yeah, it's like other than Grand Theft Auto, I won't play any game like that, you know? Um, any game that's just like we're crooks and we're robbing banks or we're stealing cars, or it's like I don't care. You don't know, like Kane and um, Lynch?
2: No. Nope. They're bad games, I'm sorry. That was a joke.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't know, I haven't played them Exactly, they don't yeah. interest me. Um and I, I like I like Grand Theft Auto, but I, I it's it's rare that I've ever that I get like an emotional connection to Grand Theft Auto because they're so Uh, sarcastic and cynical and sardonic and what i liked about red dead was that red dead really like has a really strong emotional core and it still has that rock star humor and that sarcasm but like john's story and john as a character um was really strong and i think like the west is such a unique setting because we don't get a million fucking games, like, you can't, how many Western games you got to list, oh, you never played, uh, Deadeye?
2: See, that's, that, yeah, there you
0: go. (laughs) Gun? You never played Gun? So, you know, it's like, I'm, I loved Red Dead, the original Red Dead was, like, eight or nine years ago at this point, like, I'm so fucking ready to go back, you know, and like, you're right, I didn't need this trailer, but I'm glad I got it, it's cool to know that it's, it's definitely a prequel, because... I don't really see what other direction we can go. Like, I'm not necessarily, like... I don't really care that it's about, like, oh, yeah, cool, I get to learn more about Dutch and those guys. It's like, whatever, that's fine. Like, that's that's great. Whatever the story is, whoever my main character is, I'm sure Rockstar will deliver. So this is easily my most anticipated game uh, of next year, for sure. Um, so in another update to a running story here on the video game pals hashtag thompson was right
2: oh yeah serenade me please. about
0: about the atari box so we got another email from the folks at atari giving us a much better idea of what the atari box actually is uh so as it's tradition here i'm gonna read their emails to you because they're uh, i don't know they make me laugh honestly okay <laughs> oh, yeah, i remember these guys <laughs> so, atari box more picks and news Thanks for your patience and support so far. Today, we're sharing brand new pics and more on what's inside and more info on launch. So again, if you guys want to check out this or any of the other news stories we talk about, you can go to the uh, description down below and click the link through. You can get uh, the images that we're going to be referencing here. Um, but otherwise, you know, we'll we'll describe them to you. So, the pictures we're sharing today are the first... Uh, are <laughs> <laughs> sorry. The pictures we're sharing today are of first prototypes. Everyone that has seen Atari Box firsthand loves it. So who exactly is that? <laughs> Feeling the Atari 2600 influence while still being a modern design. Atari Box will be powered by an AMD customized processor with Radeon graphics technology. It'll run Linux with a customized easy-to-use interface. This approach means that, as well as being a great gaming device, a box is also a full PC experience for the TV, bringing you streaming, applications, social, browsing, music, and more. Most TV devices have closed systems and content stores. Linux let us be lets us be more open. You can access and customize the OS, and you can access games you bought from other content platforms. And then they say if it's compatible with the OS and hardware, which
2: of is not. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll see. Um. So there will be tons of classic Atari retro games preloaded and current titles uh, from a range of studios. We'll start talking titles very soon. Stay tuned. Probably could have used some today. (laughs) We're launching the Atari Box on Indiegogo this fall. Read pretty soon. Again, probably would have waited for this. To reiterate why, we want you the Atari community, to be part of this launch. We want you to have early access, grab special editions and pricing, and to have you as active partners in the rollout of Atari Box. We want you to be part of the story. We plan on shipping late spring 2018 with an expected price range of $250 to $299, depending on specific editions and memory configurations. Hope uh, hope you like what we are sharing today, and we are ready for lots more in the weeks ahead the Atari team. PS to confirm what many of you have asked, the wood edition is made with real wood, winky face. Nice. It's, that winky face is a little weird. PPS. Please continue to let us know what you think via our social channels and please like, follow, subscribe and share as much as possible. So, check that out if you guys want to get a look at it. Um, I have to say I still think this unit looks really cool. The the wooden one is really neat.
2: Yeah, right? it looks cool.
0: I I, I um, think it looks great. Th- sure. So yeah. So, what do what do we think about this, guys? So, Thompson was right. Uh, it's basically a steam box, but the fact that they haven't announced a partner or yet, anything, makes me think that I guess this really is just Atari.
2: I, Thoughts? I, I'm I'm kind of curious uh, how Atari has the money to make one of these things out of nowhere. Like, what? How I guess long? T-shirt have they, sales are real good. Yeah. How? Yeah. Maybe, dude. Maybe they're really getting some kickback money from like stuff that I don't know about or whatever. But where they've been working on this for a while. But uh, I mean it would be again nice to know more about it you know it's it's an atari box right yeah and they're like people like it yeah who right i mean seriously who's seen it yeah like and who's you're telling me it?
0: that i haven't heard any i have not heard one game website or anyone who's been like i played the atari box and here's what
2: i think about it and it's all really vague terminology cuz an amd customized processor okay that could be anything with the radeon graphics technology right that could be anything <laughs> <Like one kind. laughs> that could, so the processor and the video, which is what people really like latch onto for what how powerful a system is, is just like it could be from zero to like to a billion. You know, okay, that's great. Um, and it's also a full PC experience for the TV. I, I mean, I get that a lot of things are though. So yeah, that's
0: like not exactly
2: unique. <laughs> I mean, that's, Actually, that's... It's just kind of like. But they're like <sighs> they're confident in saying it. You know, like they're like we will yeah. give you streaming applications, social. You know, it's like. Because they know it works, and that's great. But other things do that too. So you really got to give me some games or something to, you know, I'm not spending three hundred. on to. Yeah, I I'm not giving like, you anywhere above you know what is it two fifty to three anything unless I know what it's gonna do.
1: <laughs> that's the
0: thing that's weird to me is like how do they know what it's gonna cost but they can't tell us what's in it yet.
2: I really don't know. Well, I wonder if the fifty dollars more is for the wood edition. <laughs>
1: i i I would imagine that they're just being coy right now for whatever their reasoning is but who cares about this i I just i don't know who the market is yeah yeah i'm very confused i don't know who this is for i don't know like this isn't the way that you promote your your gaming whatever You, you know you need to get on IGN. you need to get on all these different websites who need to release something that's a press release that doesn't have winky faces in it. I mean, it's, it's you know, <laughs> it's just like I don't care about you being cute. You're asking me to spend three hundred dollars on something. You better tell me why, and you better tell me yeah. before you tell me how much it's gonna cost.
2: They're they're confident in the price, and they're also saying we want you to get special editions and stuff. So like, they want our money right now, you know, like, and they know. They're like, that's their, you know, but there's no games or anything.
0: It's just, it's just weird because it's like, like to Sean's point, this isn't how you get me excited. Yeah. yeah. Like you want me to, you want me to care about this thing, but you haven't told me anything about it yet. Right. And I've now gotten three press releases that have basically shown me the same picture of the same device, like few times in different configurations Mm -hmm. and given us basically no additional information. It's like, okay, now we know it's definitely going to be a steam box. Okay, cool. And it's gonna have Atari games packed on it, but you're not even telling me which ones or like how many. Like if they like, e- like even if they had been like, it'll have you know over a hundred Atari games packed in at launch. Like okay, cool. Like at least that's some fucking information <laughs> about what I'm getting with this thing for my three hundred dollars. But
1: nothing. This like no information. When was this first announced? Like when did that first like image launch? That little trailer or whatever. Uh,
0: it was it was at E3. Okay. Not at E3, but it was like that month, so I guess it was, what, May or sure. June? Sure, E3 was
1: this year. They're saying this is going to ship late spring. So, why is it that... Or July. Why is it that we are only... Why is it that it took them so long to tell us anything about this thing? If you're planning to ship a year from when you first talked about it, by now you should know exactly what it is. There should be no... Yeah, qu- yeah. We should know everything. Or nothing. Like, if this had been the first
0: press release, okay. Yeah,
1: that's like fine. Sure. You know,
0: like, if we hadn't had nothing six months ago, and we just got this right now, and it was like, oh, it's coming out in a year and a half, be like, alright, that's really an accelerated timeline, but... They're stringing us along for no reason.
1: Well, well, maybe it's not an accelerated timeline. Maybe they've been working on this for a lot longer than before. Like, that's how my mind works. Okay, you announced it that's now. Point. They've probably been working on it for a while. That's great. That's fantastic. But when Sony says, hey, we're coming out with a PlayStation 5, nobody's wondering what it is. You already know what all it right. is. You know it's a gaming console. You know there's going to be exclusives. You know all that. You. The only questions are, what are the specs? That kind of, like, stuff, right? With this... We don't know shit about this. Atari does not yeah. make gaming consoles. So in the timeline from basically the year that you have to sell me on this, you need to tell me everything. By now, I need to know exactly what this is, and I need to be salivating for six months or however long it is until this comes out. Not questioning. You know, there shouldn't be question marks over my head when I read this. <laughs> yeah. This is stupid. Yeah yeah dude like the only way I could I could excuse
0: that would be like if they just launched the Indiegogo like if, if if we had never heard about this dumbass thing and then next month it was just like Indiegogo Atari Box here's what it is here's the games here's the people that have signed on to make content for it here's all the things that it comes with day one like okay cool great that sounds awesome like let's see if people are interested in this but like to try and like get us excited for this for this long based on nothing it's it's just become a joke and at this point like I'm, i keep bringing it up because i'm so morbidly fascinated by this story that i just i don't know like i
1: wait <laughs> i don't so know they're launching they're, so they're gonna be asking us for money to back this project yeah so yeah can they make the project without the money
2: I don't think so.
1: <laughs> so there's two schools of thought with that kind of stuff.
0: Either A, no, or B, they're going to use that for seed funding to prove to someone else that there is interest in this thing and then try to get more investors. That's sometimes how they do it. Sometimes they use Indiegogo stuff as a way to like do pre-orders where it's like, "Hey, we can't oh, yeah. afford to print, you know, 1000 of these and then, you know, say like they, you know, they like oh, we need this many backers at this much to prove that we can afford to print a hundred thousand of these, and they're not just going to sit in, you know, targets or whatever like the Uya did.
1: Okay, but this thing comes out in like six months, right? So, or or maybe maybe a little more than that. So, what happens if nobody backs this because they don't know what the hell it is? <laughs> then this is just well, knock I guess them out. they're fucked. This is
0: well. And that's the thing is I'm sure when the Indiegogo co- happens that there will be a, a news about, like, what's coming with it, you know? Like, yeah. I'm sure that they'll be like, here are the big games. Because, like, they have to. Otherwise, no one's going to fucking but they But like, there is no still
2: way. a chance that people, even knowing what it is, it won't reach their goal or whatever. So Totally. Yeah. You have, so like, I would oh.
0: imagine they'd still put it out. I would imagine oh, yeah. that they would find a way to still release it because otherwise that's a huge embarrassment for yeah, the company. Yeah. And I, I feel like it would more be like a thing of like, oh, well, we realized we didn't communicate, you know, the the why you should care about this anymore. So here's, you know, and then then they'll have to go with the whole like head and hands kind of thing. Like we're sorry, let's figure this out. Buy it, care about it. So I don't know that their PR their PR department doesn't seem prepared for that kind of thing.
2: No, they're not. And my guess now is spring 2018 is uh. You know, starting on March 20th, and that's just in time for April Fool's Day. Only like uh, eleven di- or tw- twelve days <laughs> later, and it's going to be like they release dates April 2nd or something just to fuck with us. And like April 1st will hit, and they're like, sorry, there actually is no Atari box. <laughs> it's just a big JK. Roku. Go fuck yourself.
0: <laughs> Jk. <laughs> it
2: really, it looks like a glorified Roku now that I think about it. You know, it's just got some shit yeah, on it, and it's got a menu you can customize and streams. All right, there you go.
0: It it to me it, it really seems like uh they're like, hey, what if we just like took a Raspberry Pi and suck it inside an Atari twenty six hundred?
2: Raspberry
0: like it's a Linux box that you can run Yeah stuff on. Yeah. You know, it's I don't know. We'll see. We will see. Sorry, no, one more thing. What the fuck's up with that? It's a Linux box? And they're like, Oh, you can run games from other applications if they work with the OS and the specs. It's like, what works with Linux? Like, not that much. I okay. So good job, guys. Let's see what happens. We're, we're definitely going to keep talking about this because I can't wait to see what happens. I honestly kind of want to buy one just to make videos about how weird it is. <laughs> I can
2: I can understand.
0: Alright, so uh, next up, we've got our favorite weekly news segment. It's time for the PUBG Report! <laughs> so... Flare Unknown's Battleground developer Bluehole has announced that the team that's working on PUBG has been spun off into a new subsidiary called PUBG Corp, uh, which is, quote, focused entirely on the development and global business opportunities for the game. So, PUBG development lead Chang Han Kim is now CEO of PUBG Corp, and uh, Wung Hee Chu Cho, sorry. Uh, former CEO of Maui Games and head of business development for Neowiz will join as the COO of the new company to focus on, quote, accelerating overall business business development and managing global operations. So uh, here we've got a quote from Kim who says, "Uh, this new structure allows us to be nimble as we look towards the expansion of strategic business opportunities that include the game's potential in the esports sector and the growth of PUBG as a true global IP franchise. Uh, So, in regards to that, like, global statement, um, it's worth mentioning here, uh, we brought up in the past, but uh, PUBG Corp has already set up their first office in the U.S., and they uh, are currently in uh, the planning stages of launching offices in Europe and Japan as well. So, that's huge news. That's good. I I like to see the growth, yeah. It's, like, not surprising news when you think about how huge the game's become, but when you think about it, like, that's, I mean, it's it's just insane how big this game has become, and how the fact that there's still something every week for us to report on, like, oh, it did something else! Incredible! Like, uh, so, uh, congrats you fucking lations, guys, like, you know, good work, and you know, it's, it's, it's awesome to see the success for them, and it's exciting because I wonder if that means, since they're doing this, like, does that mean that they have plans for another game right
2: now? You know? They might, but they also like, might have, um, You know, like a server administration team almost, like the entire other company does infrastructure and then the one just does like development. So, like, yeah, that's true. PUBG Corp, like, obviously is working on PUBG and, you know, development of that. And like you said, you know, changing it to a true global franchise and all that. But the other remaining uh, half of the company might just be like actually trying to restructure considering they, you know, how many millions of people bought this game. And, like I mean, like, yeah, it's not like, like the servers like... are, like, shitty or anything right now. It's just, like, when you get that much of an expansion that fast, I don't think they ever planned on that. And, like, they're definitely able to spend enough, you know, money and resources on an entire, like, company to run infrastructure right now. And then they could work on other games, you know, but I think I think that's a huge thing that, like, they had to catch up with.
0: Sure. Yeah, but I'm sure they're just working on expanding right now. They're trying to build two more offices. I'm sure they're trying to hire more people because, like, they got an influx of, like, well, I mean, what, like, just doing bad math, right? How many people bought it? it's like over 10 million the game's 30 dollars so somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 million dollars for a game that cost them you know no money to produce right seemingly because it was built off a mod and they did it like as a labor of love as like a side hustle for like i'm sure they all put money into it i don't mean to insinuate that it cost them no but
2: it wasn't a multi-billion dollar game company thing that happened
0: yeah it wasn't like they were a game company that like had to make a calculated risk on developing this game you know it was this game that they put heart their heart and soul into hoping that something would happen with it and then they made way more than they ever expected so like you got to think even if they build these new offices and hire new people like the money's still going to keep coming in and i'm sure that they're looking to how can we expand and and what's the you know maybe there's another little indie game that they can pick up and try to help foster you know and and start doing new things like that. Um, and that, it's exciting. It's an exciting time for them. I can't wait to see what is the thing we're going to talk about next week.
1: I mean, it's it's great for them. Like, I got to figure that this player unknowns Battleground thing is the biggest story of the year, right? Oh, no question. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just so crazy to me
0: to remember... How many however many episodes ago it was when we were just like, Oh yeah, like I heard about this this new game, Player Unknowns, and now it's like, Holy shit, like it's the biggest game in the world right now. Yeah. You know? It's nuts, yeah. Um, so there is one more tidbit about the game I wanted to throw out before we move on from PUBG News, uh, which is coming from one of the many, many fantastic gaming articles to come out of Bloomberg's uh tech desk as of late. Um so if you haven't checked that stuff out, like Go over that. I've never seen their gaming coverage before, but in the last week I've read like four really good interviews um, or like di- big in-depth meaty stories that they had there. So check it out. Um, link to down below with the rest of the stuff. But uh, so I'm going to give a shout out here to the, the article's authors. Yuji uh, Nakamura and Sam Kim uh, have this amazing article about how PlayerUnknown himself, Brendan Green, made his way from uh, being a 41-year-old game designer uh, living on welfare to the creator of, like like we said, the hottest fucking game in the world right now. Um, so the article's a great read, but uh, the piece of news I wanted to touch on here was that we got official confirmation from uh, Kim, who, I, again, I said before, was the CEO of, uh, of PUBG Corp, that the team is officially in talks with Sony for a PS4 version of the game, which is something that has been long speculated but never uh, officially confirmed. Like, they've always kind of talked around it Um, so that's great news for them, again, because that's just another audience of, you know, what, there's 60 million PS3s in the wild, so I'm sure that's another couple million units of that game if they get it on PS4, so, uh...
2: Dude, I would would bet more than just a couple million, you know, a lot of people don't have uh, PCs that can compete and even play PUBG, you know? Yeah, and... You know, like, for example, like, I I know, like, two people I work with alone who were just, like, telling me the other day, like, no, I can't play it, my computer can't run it, but, like, I'd get it on the console or something, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that just don't play PC. Like, they're they're console gamers, you know, in the same way that there are a lot of PC guys that don't play console, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, this coming to Xbox was already a big deal, but, like, not to shit on Xbox, but, you know, like, no, the PS4 has twice the install base. It makes sense, so, it, yeah, I know. It's, yeah, I, I'm sure it's that, that, that this game will thrive on both of those platforms. Um, so the more places it can come, the better, you know? I, I want to see that shit come to Switch. That would be fucking amazing. I know, I know it probably won't, but, like, it could. It's a fucking, it's not like it's a hard game. Like, they just, the online infrastructure is the issue.
2: But uh, I don't know. I don't know if that would work on the Switch,
0: honestly. One day, one day. Um, <laughs> so again, good work, uh, good work to you guys over there at, at Player Unknowns. Um, but in Saturn news, a few notable development teams were hit by some pretty major layoffs this week. Uh, Jason Shriver over at Kotaku is reporting that Volition, the studio behind Saints Row, laid off over 30 people from its 200-person, 200-plus-person uh, team this week, including the general manager Dan Cermak. So this comes a month after release of the the release, excuse me, of their latest game, Agents of Mayhem, which is an action game set in the same world as their popular Saints Row series. Uh, sources tell Kotaku that Volition's publisher parent company, Deep Silver, was uh, pretty unhappy with the game's sales, um, which, based on uh, industry analyst speculations, is is performing really terribly.
2: Well, I never even so, heard of this game, and I and I love Saints Row. I mean, I didn't know they put a game out called Agents of Mayhem. <laughs> yeah, Maybe that's the problem, uh, you know?
0: It's Yeah, man, that's that's definitely the problem. You know, Agents of Mayhem was a game I saw no fanfare around. Literally, the only reason I knew what Agents of Mayhem was was because it was like a running gag at Kind of Funny, um, which is like my fa- one of my favorite podcasts um, on their Games Daily show where somebody wrote in and was like, why isn't anyone talking about this? And they were like, because I'm pretty sure no one cares. Like, And this isn't like a dig, but like literally like who cares about it? Everyone who's listening, write in. Like, let's see. And they got four people. You know, and they had a whiteboard that was in the office where they were just like, here's all the people that care about Agents of Mayhem. Wow. And two of it was the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know, man. I think it was like this game was a hero shooter or not a hero shooter, but it, like, it looked like a hero shooter. And like they really poorly advertised it. The message was really like mixed and, and muddled. So it's like I not only hadn't heard about it when I did hear about it, I heard things that weren't true um i don't know like
1: i don't know what happened here it
0: really just seems like a, a huge fumbling of uh, of the ball
1: on this one what's crazy about the gaming industry too is that there really is no room for this kind of thing uh, a lot of game developers one game can make or break you know everything that they're doing and so you really can't have situations where you're not promoting properly or you're not reaching your your core audience or what what would be your core audience i mean we've heard plenty of times about developers who actually put out a game that's successful that fall you know that 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 don't you know like so it's it's just crazy it's it's very razor thin working in this industry
0: i think especially in a year like 2017 where there are so many like excellent game of the year contenders you know like and especially in a year where like PUBG came out and it's sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Destiny 2 just came out. You know, um, you still have games like Overwatch and, you know, all the other games that are like in this kind of space of. That's not even mentioning like your wows and all the fucking MOBAs and all the fucking games out there that exist to take your mindshare away from a, a new game like this. There's no room for a game that's mediocre or that's not. Even if it's great, who knows if it's any good. Um, I don't even know, because it doesn't seem like anybody's fucking playing it. But even if it was great, there's no room for a game that just comes out and is just more of the same, or just doesn't capture that audience at the right time in the right place.
1: In my experience, uh, this is coming from someone who's played WoW since it came out. Uh, People are not willing to jump from their game to some other game for any length of time so when wow came out everybody said oh this next game is going to be the wow killer and it just never happened because it has the hearts and minds of its players and things are maybe a little different now in the sense that people are more willing to play multiple games at once but if you play overwatch you play overwatch you know like you're not playing overwatch and call of duty and this one, and that one, and that one. Because there's just not enough time in the day. You you play Overwatch. And so... And, like, maybe you divert when that game comes out and is the
0: new hotness, but you play it for a few weeks and then you go fucking back to right, Overwatch.
1: Right, like, the, the classic examples are Rift, for those of you who remember that game, that was supposed to be the WoW Killer. There was another one that I can't remember right now that was supposed to be the WoW Killer.
0: Old Republic,
1: people thought the same thing. Old Republic, Old Republic still being around and thriving is great but it had to make sweeping changes to carve out an audience and it's a Star Wars game. It's not like it's some yeah. new IP, right? So, yeah, and it's it's so different from WoW also. Exactly. Yeah. You're getting a totally different experience playing that game and again, people that love Star Wars but don't necessarily care about the MMO genre are playing that that would never touch WoW. So that's a whole that's like totally different when you're talking about like the difference between Overwatch, and whatever this game is called, right? Like, who knows about yeah. this, you know? Agents of Mayhem, right.
0: yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think the big thing, too, is, like, not for nothing, like, if it was set in the world of Saints Row, I don't know why they didn't put the Saints Row name on it. That probably would have helped bring some attention that, to yeah. it. Um, but I think, I think, honestly, the reality of it is, and again, not to take a dig at it, because, like, I haven't played Agents of Mayhem, I know nothing about the quality of Agents of Mayhem, but... I think if its numbers are really this bad, it's probably not very good because the reality of it is, is like, I don't care like what your game is. If it's really, really quality in this industry, generally the cream rises to the top. There are very few games that are like really great, amazing games that don't sell well or get find an audience because people are hungry for games and they're always playing new games and people play shit games. So like when a game is really, really good, it usually gets that word of mouth buzz on Reddit and NeoGAF and Twitter and all the places where it trickles out and it becomes a success. If this game, if there was a really any level of dedicated community playing this game that really gave a shit about it, you'd be hearing about it and there'd be more people getting into it. Well, you just
1: talked about dishonored and how that's a really great game and it never like i mean i'm sure it has an audience but it never hit the way that i'm sure people who play it and the developers would have liked that's the thing that happens in this industry and and if i were a game developer right now the last thing i'd want to be doing is developing a hero shooter or any kind of shooter at all there's no way
0: yeah I I think the the space for, like, always online multiplayer games and services, like, there's so fucking many of them right now, and the ones that are established are really established, and, like, I think we saw that happen with, like, The Division last year, where, like, it was cool for, like, six months, and then people went back to Destiny, because Destiny's the fucking game, you know, and, like... You might pull their attention away for a bit, but you got to really do something fresh and different. And I think just trying to capitalize on trends, like I think a really great analogy that uh, they made over on on kind of funny games daily recently was that like with player unknowns, right? Like now we're starting to see like Fortnite's making that their own battle royale thing, which we haven't talked about on the show because none of us play Fortnite, but maybe I'll bring it up in, in the weeks to come. The whole thing, right, is like PUBG is Coke. Right now, someone's trying to figure out can we be Pepsi? <laughs> and like that's what happened with league right leagues coke dota's pepsi heroes is fucking rc cola i don't know
1: uh...
0: <laughs> and that's not a dig at it i just mean you know what i mean like there's like if if remember like three years ago when like every six months there was a MOBA that came out and then failed and now there's like five mobas that are like fairly healthy There's the three that anyone really gives a shit about. There's Paragon, and then... uh, What was that other one that was hot for a minute? That's, like, still kicking. Smite. Um, The one that was on... Smite, yeah. Smite is, like, still kind of a thing, but not really. Um, Because, frankly, Heroes and and fucking Paragon came out and ate its lunch. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, I just... I, I don't think that in this current climate that there's, like... There's just not a lot of room for games like this,
1: you know? You better have anyway. a huge IP that people are already familiar with, or it better be so good and so different, and you better be yeah. phenomenal at PR to where people pay attention. That's all. all you but can. uh, I did want to re- uh reply to your thing about Dishonored
0: because like you're right, right? Like there are games that come out and I think underperform, um, that are really quality, but like. The difference between Dishonored and Agents of Mayhem is that there are legions of of people and and games journalists especially, which is probably the most important thing, who are like, I fucking love Dishonored. Dishonored was a game of the year for me. Dishonored is a nine out of ten. And like there's fanfare around it. Like, yeah, it's not Skyrim, but it's a critical darling, and it was it sold well enough to warrant Standalone DLC and a sequel and another spinoff, you know. Yeah,
1: you you basically are making my point though, which is that even a game that had all that, still they can't get it to where it's an ongoing franchise that they're going to be able to yes. make for decades to come. Yeah, yeah, and this doesn't
0: even have that, so it's like pff, good fucking luck. Right.
2: According to Steam Spy, uh, they only have sold like just under thirty six thousand copies.
0: Oh, wow.
1: That's
0: bad. Holy shit, that's really bad. Yeah. Especially for a multiplayer game, like, their concurrence must be nothing.
2: Um, On average, it seems to be something like 16,000? Oof. Yeah. Oof. That's rough. Yeah. That's not Lawbreaker's bad, but that's bad. Oh, wait. I got a different chart. Never mind. The, d- the hourly concurrent players only maxes out around 280. Oh, okay, so that is like Lawbreaker's bad. That's
0: real bad. It's real bad. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
2: It's horrible. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I mean, you know, that that sucks. Um But uh alright, so Volition wasn't the only dev hit by layouts uh layouts, by layoffs this week. Uh, the Chinese Room, who is the indie development team behind last year's award-winning walking simulator Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, has been forced to lay off all of its staff, save for the company's founders, the husband-wife team of Dan Pinchbeck and Jessica Curry. Uh, so Euro-G- Eurogamer's Wesley Yinpool has a like really great article on the subject that goes really in-depth into like what happened, um why it happened where they're going to go from here if you're a fan i don't want to get into it because it is a really long story but the the reader's digest version is you know they had this amazing success they didn't want to be one of those developers like most developers right when you finish your game you downsize you get rid of anyone who's non-essential personnel that you brought on to help finish the game and you know you give them a good recommendation they go on their way and get their next job that's how the industry works um Dan and Jessica didn't want to fire their team. They wanted to secure funding and work on their next project. So um, they were, you know, paying for an office, which they've now abandoned. Um, and they're they're moving back to working out of their house. Uh, and they had six – I think they said that their staff was eight people. So I don't know if that means they fired eight people or they had six people on staff who they laid off. But – They were paying that many people's salaries, paying the rent for this office space, and they just burned through all their money. And based on the article, I am getting the implication – or not that the article makes the implication. I get the sense – that they were, like many developers in their position, um, when they get their first big hit, they were looking for a partner to secure funding from and try to scale up and do that next bigger game. They uh, expressed that they were kind of sick of doing walking simulators. They wanted to do something that was a little bit more um, like systems-oriented, and it just seems like they couldn't secure funding. Uh, and like maybe even that they were in the process of making a deal that maybe someone backed out of at the end and then left them high and dry, um, which these kinds of things happen. But if you're a brand new developer and you only have the money you made from your one big game, that's enough to kind of set you, really set you back. So, um, you know, this this is sad. You know, none of these developers were anyone I really had a close relationship to. Uh, I didn't play you know, Saints Row or everyone's gone to the Rapture, but it's always a shame to see these kinds of layoffs happen and, you know, our our hearts go out to all the people that are affected and, you know, uh, we wish you luck uh, landing your next gig. So moving on to some Nintendo news, the company has changed the terms for their YouTube partner program. Uh, Julia Alexander over at Polygon has a great article on the subject that uh, offers the context and really kind of sums things up pretty well. So I'm going to pull from her article, which we've linked to down below if you want to check out the full context. But um, I'm going to give you the, uh, the, the major beats here. So uh, she writes, YouTube creators who participate in Nintendo's creator program will not be able to live stream Nintendo games from the YouTube account tied to the Nintendo's partner program. The publisher has confirmed. So Nintendo uh, has issued an update today outlining its live streaming policy, which now states that YouTube channels linked to Nintendo's partner program cannot stream any Nintendo game for either monetization or non-monetization purposes. Instead, YouTubers have a couple of options. The easiest, albeit disadvantageous, option uh, instructs YouTubers to stream from a different account not associated with Nintendo's program. (laughs) Nintendo's full update states, quote, Live streaming on YouTube falls outside the scope of the Nintendo Creators Program. You cannot broadcast content on YouTube Live from the account you have created you have registered to the Nintendo Creators Program. If you plan to broadcast content on YouTube Live, you have a couple of options. First, you can broadcast content on the YouTube Live, oh excuse me, on YouTube Live from a channel that is not registered to the Nintendo Creators Program or you can cancel your channel's registration to the Nintendo's creator program and instead register your videos containing Nintendo's IP to the program separately. Videos which have been previously registered through your channel would need to be re-registered individually. Uh, So uh, this is back to the article. Nintendo's update only applies to live streaming, but it's important to note the language. The publisher says that YouTubers cannot, quote, broadcast content on YouTube Live from the account you have registered to the Nintendo Creators program. This means that even if YouTubers want to stream games without monetizing the stream, Nintendo will not allow it. Uh, Those who have partnered with Nintendo can still create other videos that showcase content from Nintendo games as long as commentary is included. So, for example, um, a Let's Play series of of a game like Breath of the Wild would be okay. W- would not, did you just say? That would be fine. Oh, okay. So, like, a Let's yeah. Play series is fine. This is just applying to live streams for some reason. Yeah. So, I guess Nintendo's making a distinction there that they see Let's Plays as commentary, but they don't see live streams as the same thing. Yeah. Um. So, then she gave a little bit of context here to, like, the actual program for those who don't remember or never heard about this. So Nintendo first introduced its partner program back in March. Prior to the program, any monetization that came from using Nintendo gameplay footage would go, would go to the company. Through the program, Nintendo agreed to, quote, share of these advertising proceeds for any YouTube videos or channels containing Nintendo copyrighted content that you register, unquote. The program allows YouTubers to submit full channels or specific videos for monetization. The, quote, revenue share is 70% for channels and 60% for videos, unquote. But that may change, according to Nintendo. Um, so this is uh, this is so weird you know I I still just find Nintendo's approach to this whole thing to be so it just feels very like out of touch with what the broader kind of accepted policy is what do you guys think about this
1: I feel like we've talked about Nintendo's weird policies ad nauseum this is not a surprise like, and I'm done being surprised by moves like this. It, they're they're out of touch. They don't know what they're doing. They, I'm sure they have a reason. It doesn't make any sense to us. Uh, I don't see how it's helpful for them. Um, but whatever, you know, this is this is Nintendo's way.
0: Yeah, I mean, like it's great that they finally stopped taking money from YouTubers that wanted to play Nintendo shit because they realized that, like, um, you know. I remember when this whole thing first came out, like, basically, a bunch of really big YouTubers uh, were just like, well, we'll just stop playing Nintendo games. You know? And then they were like, okay, we'll figure something out. So they did this. But it's like, do you really need to take a a share of that marketing revenue? Do you really need to make people jump through hoops to go and register video by video and everything? Like, it just seems like you're creating all these barriers for people who just want to
1: promote your product. People saying fuck is dangerous and if you say but
0: they're not even saying you can't do it. There's like you just have to register with us and we're going to take 30%. But I won't
1: but <laughs> say, like what is the reason? You know like are they worried about how the content is being portrayed? Like is this is this that? What like I I don't I don't know. It's a mystery. Like the only way we could know is if we worked at Nintendo or if we got the chance to speak to somebody who's over there that's making these choices.
0: Yeah, we got to talk to Mr. Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking call Reggie. Get him up. Gotta get Reggie on the phone. Reggie, what's going on with streaming? What the hell, man? You know? (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Reggie, I am very happy to report that Reggie has made good on his word, and the SNES Classics launch seems to have gone off pretty smoothly.
2: Alright, call him again. Tell him good job.
0: Good job, Reggie! (laughs) So, if you're like me and Thompson and got your pre-orders online during a very stressful period, uh, you'll be stuck waiting until sometime this week to get yours, but those who were willing to venture outside their homes to go to retail stores on release day were most likely pleasantly surprised, because, um, reports from all across the country are showing that many retail locations were receiving as many as 50 consoles on launch day, whereas last, uh, you know, with the NES Classic, it was closer to, like, 8 or 5 or 12. Um, and, uh, some people are reporting that they were able to just walk into a store without even waiting in line and just pick one up. Um... So that's fantastic. Uh, so if you didn't get one yet, it seems like Nintendo is far more on top of things this time around, and uh, you'll almost certainly have ample opportunity to do it. They promised they're going to be printing these things well into 2018, so, uh, you know, good luck hunting, but it seems like you should be all right.
2: Yeah, somebody I work with uh, went to the mall like like, uh, I don't know, four hours, three hours early to get one, and it's just like, yeah. yeah, actually, I got one. No big deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, from what I've seen, like, there were definitely cases of like, oh, I was at this place, and I, I went to a GameStop, and there was – in this article, actually, I'm pretty sure the writer writes, I went to a GameStop. I was 11 of 12 people that got one, and there was like something like 12 or 20 people behind us that didn't get one, but you know just a town over in Cherry Hill, New Jersey – shout-outs to that, just close to us – Um, were, there was a mall and a Target that had like 50, and they were able to go there and get them, so – Seems like most of the people that went out to get one, if as long as they went early enough, like, you know, eight or nine in the morning, they were able to find one, which is great. It's fantastic.
1: I don't know. I'm seeing a lot of reports of of uh, these consoles being available online for $185, $200. Uh, yeah. And the resale is extremely expensive. And- but
2: that's that's actually good, though, real quick, just because, like, it was, like, up to 400 After they announced that they were going to keep making this, this sucker and they were going to make more of them... the price got cut in half to like 180.
1: Yeah. I I just can't So it is going. Yeah. I I just can't imagine paying $80 markup for something like this. It's I think yeah. it's already priced like it's priced exactly where it needs to be the the yeah. you know, the market yeah. value. Um uh, you know, this is not a surprise either. I, like hopefully they keep they keep to their word and there will be more. Uh, in the future but I've seen reports of people calling GameStop and saying hey when are you going to have more and they just laugh
0: oh yeah but you know that's like GameStop employees are definitely a little I, I've encountered very cynical GameStop employees when it comes to that sort of thing where they're like oh ha 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 we'll never get another one and it's just like well we'll see right like I'm they have no idea when they'll get more but like the fact that Reggie said that there would be a lot more at launch and there was a lot more at launch leads me to believe that if they said that they're going to put out more, they're going to put out more.
1: I, ho- I am hopeful.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, and then just add a little bonus here, if you did get one, or if you didn't, just like they did with the NES Classic, Nintendo has posted the manuals for all of the console's games online in, uh, PDF format, including Earthbound's 135-page strategy guide, which has historically sold online, uh, for a fucking truckload of money, uh, because it's super valuable and super rare. So, um, this is awesome. I love, I love getting to go and pour through old strategy guides, or, like, old, uh, you know, game manuals and stuff like that. That's one of the few things that I really, really miss about old physical games. Me is, too. <laughs> uh, the guides were awesome. That was such a fun thing. I remember, like, my favorite part about, you know, not my favorite part, but whenever I would go get a new game, you know, like, you'd go out with whoever whatever adult was taking you to get a video game and you'd be sitting on the ride home, you know, maybe they had to go run other errands and just pouring through the guide like, oh my god, I can't wait to go home and play, you know, and uh it's it's always just fun to get a little nostalgic trip especially with like really established franchises um like going and pouring through like the old mario books and seeing how much has changed just about the way they portray the series and everything um so especially this earthbound thing that's huge so go check them out it's a cool thing we got a link down below where you can go uh go pick them up so they're all free um, so this, uh, you know, this news about how the SNES Classic's launch was, was handled bodes really well for anyone out there like me who's hoping to snag a reprint of the NES Classic in 2018, um, you know, which Nintendo has promised. Uh, but speaking of which, Eurogamer did a little investigative reporting by cracking open an SNES Classic to look at its innards, and uh, what they found was an NES Classic. So, uh, John Lin- Lineman, or Linman, Lineman, I'm not really sure, but, um, over at Eurogamer writes, um, uh, our suspicions that Nintendo had retained the same hardware platform came from several factors. The controller interface is the same. The HDMI and USB placements are identical. The UI is similar and the general system behavior is also very reminiscent of last year's hardware. On top of that, the SNES Mini's HDMI output tops out at 720p, another match with the older unit. Our theory was confirmed this week from uh, Twitter user Chimero, um, and today we broke open both pieces of hard, excuse me, both pieces of hardware to look for ourselves, confirming that the internal ma- uh, internal mainboard is the same. The corners carved out to fit within the NES mini shell remain the same on the SNES model, even though there is no real need for them to be touched at all. As a result, the new piece of hardware looks slightly less elegant internally. Hardware-wise, we're looking at the same off-the-shelf, blah, blah, blah. So here we go. If you're, if you're a geek who wants to look at this shit, I got the, the link there. You can go check it out. And then, uh, so here's the other, other little bit that I wanted to, to pull out here. So he says, The fact that the SNES Mini runs on the same hardware as its predecessor has a number of implications. Among them, we can expect hackers to be looking at the, uh, looking to exploit the system in short order to add new games, exactly what happened with the NES Mini. And secondly, the use of what is essentially the same technology makes it much easier for Nintendo to resume NES Mini production, uh, which was previously confirmed by Nintendo, uh, which we said. So, seems like uh, having the same set of stuff, you know, except for the fact that there's uh, a slightly modified OS, different emulator, different ROMs, but um, this is great. Because, that means it's going to be way easier for them to print more NES classics in 2018 without having to you know, cease production on one or the other, they can just print multiple modes and just, you know, slap different stuff on it. So um, that definitely seems like it's a good sign for anybody who's hoping to get an SNES Classic later this year uh, or an NES Classic when they relaunch in 2018. So good luck to you and me too.
1: (laughs) My question is, would you pay, would you pay the price of both to get both on one console?
0: No. No. Yeah, I would definitely want two separate ones. I think like a big part of this is because it's like, obviously, if you just want to play these games, like you have the option of emulators, you could buy a Raspberry Pi and make an emulator box uh, and have a lot more games on it. Um, Most of these games are available on your 3DS or, you know, will eventually come to the Switch or whatever. The whole thing, I think, is the package, you know, is having that mini console, that cool stylized thing that you can, like, feel like you're playing on a real NES, you know, it's like, to me, it's, uh, it's kind of akin to, like, getting vinyl, you know, it's like, yeah, you can listen to it digitally, but it's cool to have a record.
1: Okay.
2: And the controllers, too, you know, like, I want to have the controller, um, a fresh new, you know, SNES controller, and, like.
0: I'm really excited for our SNESs to come this week. Thompson, I really want to do an unboxing video before we lay down some Let's Plays uh, so you guys can look out, look forward to that on our YouTube channel. But, um, yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to grabbing an NES when it comes out as well. So, good on you, Nintendo. Hopefully. <laughs> so, the last item on the news list this week is going to take us into our meat and potatoes discussion. Uh, and it's a doozy. So... Eleven months after the strike began, the video game voice actors represented by the Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, which from now on I'm just going to refer to as SAG for my own benefit, uh, reached a, quote, tentative agreement last Saturday with the 11 companies that they had been striking against. So starting back in October of 2016, the strike was the longest in the Guild's history since their foundation in 1933, which is, I had no idea. That's really cool. Um... With the key issue being secondary compens- compensation, which, you know, sometimes referred to as residuals, bonus checks, or royalties for voice actors who had worked on games that sold in the multi-million range. So these actors were seeking a system that would award them an agreed-upon sh- agreed share of profits with payouts being based on the game's performance. So uh, unlike voice actors for television and film, voice actors generally don't see any kind of compensation for video games uh, after the fact despite the fact that video games' uh, work is generally more involved and harsher on their voices. So this uh, example came from the Polygon article, which I'm going to list below, but um, they said that voice actor Michael Hollick uh, said he was paid $100,000 for about 15 months of work on Grand Theft Auto IV's protagonist, Nico Bellic, and received no royalties, despite the fact that publisher uh, Rockstar Games has sold more than 25 million copies of the game. So instead, the agreement reached uh, this past Saturday will award secondary compensation based on the number of recording sessions an actor works for a game instead of a game's overall sales. So a press release um, based on the agreement explains that, quote, the bonus payment, which is due no later than the release date of the game, is based on the number of sessions worked on the game, beginning with a $75 payment on the first session and totaling uh, $2,100 after 10 sessions worked. So, at max, they can receive an additional uh twenty one hundred dollars based on how long they're working, um which is certainly much different, but at least something. Uh, another key element of the negotiations was centered on vocal stress from actors uh asked to record record things like battle cries, death scenes, and other taxing lines, you know which require them to like really scream and you know blow out their voices in some cases. Uh, so this new deal promises, quote, an employer commitment to continue working on sag after, or continue working with sag after, on the issue. So they didn't reach any agreement on this. They're going to continue negotiations about this. Uh, but then arguably the biggest victory comes in transparency for voice actors during neg- negotiations for video game voice acting. So during the industry's um, excuse me, due to the industry's focus on secrecy, voice actors are historically put in a pretty awkward position during these negotiations, where they're forced to sign on to a project with limited information about what their part is actually about. So during negotiations, SAG after cited sources uh, or cited stories of actors being asked to provo- uh, provide voice work for things like sex scenes or dialogue with racial slurs without having agreed to that material beforehand. So, uh, a quote from uh, Ray Rodriguez, who is the SAG-AFTRA's chief uh, chief contract officer and uh, the new contract's lead negotiator, said, uh, "Quote: The new pr- transparency provisions will enhance the bargaining power of our members' repre- uh, representatives by requiring the companies to disclose the code name of a project, its genre, and whether the game is based on previously published intellectual property, and whether the performer is reprising a prior role." So that's even a thing that they didn't know in, uh, previous things. Like, you could be asked to come in and do an audition for a character you already played, and you wouldn't even know that. Um, members are also protected by the disclosure of whether they will be required to use unusual terminology, profanity, or racial slurs, whether there will be a content of a sexual or violent nature, and whether stunts will be required. Unquote. Uh, so SAG-AFTRA also noted that the agreement does not include a number of provisions that game makers had been after. Uh, One of which was uh, that actors could be fined for being late to, distracted during, uh, or distracted during, excuse me, recording sessions. And the deal also doesn't allow gaming companies to use their permanent staff in lieu of union voice actors for, quote, covered work outside the collective's bargaining agreement. Uh, So, yeah. So there's a a few things there that were the game companies kind of wanted provisions where they could try to, like, wedge out actors who were... um, you know, a part of this or penalize them if they were, you know, making mistakes on their end or whatever. Um, those were not part of the provisions. So the agreement isn't a done deal yet. Uh, SAG-AFTRA has got a national board meeting in October where they have to kind of finalize and review the contract. So that's going to be when we finally see this laid to bed. But uh, as long as that goes over in the next, you know, few weeks, um, it seems like we'll have finally reached an end to this uh you know this this chapter of uh of 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 games' history here, so now we're gonna move over to our meat and potatoes, right? This story started well before the video game pals were launched. um, so we haven't really covered it outside of when it affected life is strange before the storm and Ashley Birch's ability to uh reprise her role as Chloe. But now that the dust is settled, uh, I wanted to just kind of open the floor to discuss what do we think about the strike um you know there were voices on both sides of this argument, you know. Uh, who were kind of strongly for or against it for a variety of reasons you know one of the main arguments I saw come out was there are plenty of voice actors who were like I don't think we deserve this money because uh, game developers don't get residuals either so why should we get residuals for you know a few months of work when they put four or six years into their you know of their life sometimes into developing a game uh, so I wanted to ask where do where do you guys land on on this argument
1: It's a complicated issue um <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, uh, people deserve to be paid appropriately for what it is that they're doing. I think that video game actors should know what it is that they're doing. I mean, I read a an AMA where uh, I think it was Trisha Helfer that was saying that she didn't even know the... She, she's in Mass Effect.
0: Yes, I think she was the voice of Femme right.
1: She was saying that she didn't even know the story of the game. She She had no idea what the game was about. And... That's weird, you know. Like, wouldn't it be better for the actor to know what what it is that they're doing, um, and then especially you would think, yeah, especially if you're talking about a situation where an actor signs on for a role and then they have to say this line that's racial, or they have to, you know, simulate sex, and it's like, well, why, you know, like, why should I have to like, do this I didn't without sign on for right? That having known that that was going to be what this was. Um, And then, obviously, they can't, they sign a contract. So, they can't say, I'm not doing that. You know, what's the penalty for that, you know? Um, And and, and they're probably afraid to say no because they need the money. So, you know, I think that that's great. On the other hand, when you're talking about people showing up late or being distracted or whatever, you know, whatever, (laughs) that's also terrible, and it's,
0: yeah those were totally reasonable things yeah. i don't know why they couldn't concede on those but i mean maybe it was the nature of the penalties that they were
1: not comfortable with right and that and that's why it's hard to talk about this because i'm sure there's a lot that we don't even know um oh sure yeah right? but the fact that this was the longest strike that's even that right there that's really interesting um yeah it's significant i mean and that's the thing is this is really a uh
0: you put it well right it's a complex issue because there's so many layers to it you know like the fact that like removed from everything else i don't think that the voice actors who did do this strike who acted in uh you know to try and make this statement were wrong you know um i think i'm of the opinion right like uh, I think Andrea Renee said it best on, uh, on on Kind of Funny Games Daily where she was like, you no, you'll never get what you don't ask for, right? Like, you got to try. And especially the fact that a lot of these voice actors are people who also work in television and film, you know, uh, that's the rate they get for this other work. And if video games want to continue to have the best talent, they need to offer something that's more competitive, even if it's not the same. And... I think especially when you think about how much more work goes into doing the voice acting for a game where it could take 15 months you know, of, of your life to do all these sessions for a game that's 30 or 40 or 50 hours, like that's significant. You should be compensated fairly for that. That's a great point, yeah. On the same breath, the fact that there's these other people on the other side who are saying, why should we get residuals for 15 months of voice acting when there are people who put four years of their life coding this thing and they don't see any residuals. I get that side of the argument, but it's also like that's a different argument, right? Like, because there are some people who are like, well, no, we're doing this so that there's a precedent that they can unionize too and they can fight for fair compensation or for fairer compensation. Um, and I, I think that's, maybe that's legitimate too.
1: They, they have to fight their own battle on that front. You know, the actors are fighting for fair compensation, maybe the developers need to do that too. I think that's a very reasonable thing, uh, but you can't say, yeah. well we shouldn't fight for this because they're not getting it. Who gives a shit? You know you, you have to feed your own family um, yeah but but I think that's I think fair. you made a, a, a great point in that doing the voice work for a video game can often take, especially if you are the star or one of the main characters in a game, it can take a really long time compared to doing a movie or a show where it's it's significantly less I mean, yeah, you're you're physically acting, you know, you're you're physically using your body, you have to be on set, you have to be on location. It's different. Well even even take that out. If you're just talking about voice acting, like if you're voice acting for like a cartoon,
0: that's a twenty minute script, right. you know, or like a an hour and a half if it's a feature length right. movie. And I'm sure that takes a lot of work, but it's significantly less voice acting than if there's nine hours of cutscenes in Uncharted, you know. Like,
1: there's also, I would imagine, a lot of. I mean, you you. If video games work differently, so they have to record the audio for what happens if I succeed in this versus fail. Different yes. ways to die. Different, you know, like there's so many different things that you have to record that don't even.
0: Let alone if there's branching narratives. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, we're um, a long way um, from the Mario, like, wah, wah, woo, and that's it, you know? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of right. there's a lot of shit in a game. Um, yeah. Yeah, like,
0: you brought up Mass Effect earlier, Sean. You look at something like that, where there's, like, 12 permeations of every interaction you have, you know? And, like, you have to record dialogue for each and every one. And, like, that's... And it's already an experience that's intended to be 50, or, like... Or if you're, like, you're, like, Geralt in The Witcher and there's 250-plus hours of content, like... That guy must have been in the booth every fucking day for like <laughs> six years.
2: <laughs> yeah, also, what you're one into, you know, before it, so.
0: And you also think, like, uh, to Sean's point, like, there's, like, ambient dialogue, right? Like, there's the dialogue, like, to use Uncharted, right? Like, there's all the dialogue in the nine hours of cutscenes. There's also all the dialogue while you're walking around. There's also all the dialogue while you're interacting with characters in the open world. There's all the dialogue of Nate talking to himself. You know, like, that adds up. Big
1: time it's a huge commitment.
2: This is um this is one of those things though like the strike in general um you know I I don't obviously I didn't really know much about the uh conditions of like what how they work you know how they're how much they're paid or anything like that. And um you, you know like so I don't I don't really have like a a good base on this but like I kind of agree with the fact that like they were saying residuals, you know, aren't uh, seeming fair, like the, the coders and other people, but like, dude, it's only like 2100 bucks, right? Like, at most?
0: That's the max, yeah. They said it's, for one session, you can get a residual of $75. For up to 10 se- sessions, it's a residual of $2,100.
2: Right. Well, I don't know how much these people get paid up front or anything, Um, you know, per, per the contract that they have. But, well, I
0: would say looking at that example of Grand Theft Auto 4, Granted, that's a number of years ago, but a hundred thousand dollars for one of the from one of the biggest publishers out there is probably a good benchmark. I'm sure the the rate has come up right. since then, but so, probably not
2: much. So, like my thing is, you know, like if you're getting a hundred K, I don't think twenty one hundred is really gonna make <laughs> or break you. You know what I mean? But if you're not getting a hundred K and you're just a guy in the background doing like you know line A, but it took you know. 10 hours to do line A, you know, maybe you deserve an extra 150 bucks or so, you know, like that was some fucking shit you had to go through. And the residuals for that kind of shit is great. You know, the people who like, yeah, that seems good, who do good work in the background and make your world like feel like it's alive, you know? And like, we, we hear voices in the, in like cities and stuff. We know, you know like one of the most disconcerting things about like horror movies is like they usually don't have people talking and stuff in it it's usually very silent because of that because like it makes tension you know like they have like any apocalyptic movie they always show like silent dead cities and it's like oh god no one's here you know but you know in a game if there's people there that are you visually see but they're not talking it's gonna feel dead you know so they so it's really important to have the voice and it's important to have not some jerk who's just like oh i have a voice in the back you know like someone who knows what they're doing and yeah, someone
0: who's a fucking professional. Yeah,
2: and you know if they're not getting paid hundred k, you know, and nothing. The twenty one hundred extra might be just what they needed, you know. And um, it's it doesn't seem like in that realm of money, like that if you you'd have to have a ton of people getting a full twenty one hundred uh, before it even really dented, you know, paying another dude hundred k. So just yeah, just pay I, it, you I know. It's like that's nothing. Yeah, game developers I, make usually. I mean, and we talk about layoffs, right? But the big ones they make money you know they they have microtransactions games out there too that always feed them money you know they can afford the 2100 i really think that it's the right thing to do you know like it sounds like they got a lot of quality of life stuff that they needed i don't know like the conditions but it sounds like that's ridiculous why do you not know what you're voicing you know like why do you not even know what game it is about you know
0: so the reason the reason for that uh to be fair is um because of leaks you know, there's been oh, yeah, problems in the past, pretty significant ones, of, like, voice actors putting something on their resume or on their LinkedIn. They're like, oh, I'm working on a secret but, project but or something. But doesn't that, like, and then break like, your oh.
2: contract then? Because that's probably part of your contract to, like, not leak it
0: uh yeah i would imagine so so like you um, but fuck things yourself like they, by doing that but things like that still happen i know so, like I, know. I understand why this exists but uh, yeah i think this is a
2: concession that needed to be made yeah, but that just seems like you know dude if you have an established character and people know who he is and the leak comes out it's obviously because people care about it you know
0: yeah but that's still a problem you know like they want to control that message as much as possible
1: so penalize him right penalize the individual person you know which is fine right yeah that's totally fine yeah, yeah. if you if you um, right. want to
0: know more about what you're playing cool you definitely need to be the one who's responsible for keeping that secret then
2: i just think of, like back to the the woman who did mass effect like femshep right like i thought she was one of the best voiced characters of all time you know i always picked female chef because like she just felt more like dynamic in voice than the male one did and just i'm just imagining now like what if they told her what all this shit meant she probably was playing, you know, like, you know, their second, you know, game in and they're she's like, What the fuck are Reapers? And they're like, We don't even know. Let's just wait, you know. Imagine if like well, you know what fair. you're this talking is just about. An like,
0: like you know what you're doing once you're doing the game. It's not it's it's that like you have to sign a contract about it before you even get the chance.
2: You, you were saying that, like, when they get acquired for roles, people that they've done roles already, they don't know if they're going to be doing that role again. Yes.
0: Yeah. Like.
2: That's that's what I'm talking about. so you're like, saying, like, it, the audition would be
0: better if they know?
2: I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course.
2: You're told when you go to go acting stuff, they're like, okay, you're this person. You have this thing. This is your mentality. You act like that. Yeah. You know? This other thing, they're just like, read these words. Oh, we didn't like the way it sounded, I guess. But, like, you didn't know what you were fucking doing, <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah,
0: granted, though, like, that's also not uncommon in, in Hollywood either. Like, I know that's a thing, um, you know, in television and stuff like that all the time. Like, they'll, they'll to, to the thing you just said, right? Like, they'll have you come in and be like, they'll have you play a character that emotes the same way, right? Like, oh, we need someone to play this kind of character so we're gonna have you play this kind of character and see what you can do and they'll give you something totally random you know um know i've heard stories like that on the walking dead all the time like they'll have people come in and do like random scenes that have nothing to fucking do with survivalism or zombies or anything like that it's just like some random scene and they're just like if you can emote what we're going for right then we'll give you the job which is, like, fine. If, yeah. if they want to do that kind of stuff, good. I think these concessions here though, right, of, like, I shouldn't sign a contract and not know anything about it, right? Like, and not know, right. am yeah. I doing a sci-fi game? Am I gonna have to do a sex scene? Like, any of that kind of stuff, like, yeah, you should have a vague idea at the very fucking least, right?
1: I, I, I do want to point out from the Trisha Helfer AMA that is just nine days ago, uh, she was asked about Mass Effect and she's, these, this is the quote, With Mass Effect, there was no script, so I had no idea what was going on. I would show up at the studio, head into the booth, put on the headphones, and a line would appear on the computer screen and the record button would come on. I'd read it a few times, and then another line would appear. Literally, the first time I would see a line and read it, it was being recorded. I really still have no idea what the story is. Well, there you go. She doesn't even know what the story is of the game she read for.
2: Her. And she did a phenomenal job. And, like, imagine if they told her, like, this is what it is. <laughs> yeah, imagine if she could prepare. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Every time that she said something that's like, crazy. those fucking Reapers, and she really delivered, but imagine now that she knew what Reapers really were. And she's like, those fucking Reapers, you know, like the yeah. performance of a lifetime, you know?
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. That's crazy, though. That's so interesting. That's crazy. Thanks for adding that context, Sean.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So shit like that happens, you know, to, to mainline characters like her, you know, playing how many, like, hundreds of fucking hours that she have to record between all three games and the DLC. And, 300, 400
0: and, yeah, hours, like.
2: Probably more, man, probably a lot more, to be honest with you. Some of those DLC are really big, and there's tons of ambient dialogue in, in with just your character alone. That's also
0: assuming that she got everything on the first take, right? Like,
2: Yeah, exactly, yeah. She said she'd read it a few times, and, you know, they'd pick the best one each time, I guess.
0: Yeah, so, you know, I think ultimately the results of this are good. Um, Probably not enough in some cases. I still really think that their original desire for residuals based on a certain level of success I think is something that they should push for again in the future. I think, um, you know, asking for residuals on a game that sells multiple millions of copies, like several, several million, I don't think is unreasonable at all. You know, like the fact that, like, (laughs) <laughs> that grand theft auto five is one of the best selling entertainment or is i think the highest grossing entertainment property of all time because of how much it costs to fucking sell a cop or to buy a copy of the game uh, and the fact right, that like yeah. the voice actors who carry that performance haven't seen a dime since their original <sighs> paycheck like five or six years ago and that Rockstar's still making money on it that's not right you know and i think that there should be some way to work it out but I think the problem there too is like the argument that's being made, right? That like uh, developers don't see residuals is like where do you draw that line, right? Does every single yeah, coder like, who ever worked on Grand Theft Auto Five deserve residuals forever? I don't know.
2: What I what I just want to point out with that like I was just I was just thinking about that uh, before you brought that up. Um, like they still work for the company though; they have a paycheck, you know. So this whole time, well, unless people they got laid off, because that, that's the thing. Right, but they but like that's the thing. Like so they don't necessarily need to have the residuals as much because they probably either still work the studio's still around right rockstar's still kicking they're making money they're paying people so people who worked on that project are theoretically still making money from it in some way even if they're working on a different game they're still getting paid only at the highest level you know? though, know because that's the
0: thing is like uh we talked about earlier right like after every major project no, like they're,
2: they're employees i mean yeah but you know? no
0: but that's what i'm saying right is like only at the highest level like the the guys who are like director Head of this, lead this, whatever. They all are going to still have a job, most likely. But like Joe Schmo Coder, who coded GTA 5 for only the single player stuff for like five or six years. Probably a significant number of those people, unless they were transitioned over to work on GTA Online, which I think was a different team, they probably didn't. Uh, a lot of them probably did get laid off because that's just, like, what happens in games, you know, and, like... Yeah, yeah. It's,
2: it... I mean, that's the nature of that business, though. So, you know, sure, like, sure. That's...
1: But that doesn't mean it's right. I don't know that it's wrong either, though. I mean, this is... we we Like, we've dealt with this in film, right? And and by the way, let's just make it clear. there. This is a, a problem in a lot of different areas of art, yes. not just yeah. gaming. Oh, right? yeah. And it's good, it's good. There's some headway somewhere, yeah. though, finally. But in film, right, if you are a top-level actor... It's in your contract, you know? You're going to get... If the movie does X, you get X, you know? Or you get Y. Um, if you're a director, same thing. The top-level people get this stuff, you know? The lower-tier guys, they don't necessarily get that stuff. When you're a lower-tier guy, you're happy to have a job. You're happy to get... To have that on your resume. To be able to say, yeah, you know what? I didn't... I didn't... I wasn't the director on Grand Theft Auto Five, but I worked on it. This was my experience. This is what I provide. That's going to get you more jobs, you know? Yes. And... That's how it is in all industries. Yeah. So I think the, pe- the person who voiced CJ should be making money off that role still, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. Or Trevor for me, you know? like the, sure. he, they, they all have such good voices. They really nailed what they needed. You yeah, know?
0: and I think for me with development, I think it's residuals should happen in, in, on the development side of things in my opinion, like period. I think it's about where you draw the line right like to your point if you're an entry-level programmer or level designer or whatever yeah maybe you don't deserve residuals but if you were like you know the lead developer or the lead designer or the lead artistic director like any of those people they probably do deserve residuals and maybe the top five performers at that level right like the five best level designers the people that really crafted that experience i think they do deserve residuals because i think in the same breath where we're saying oh the guy who voiced trevor deserves money. Don't you think the guy who created Trevor deserves a residual too? Yeah, of course. Or, or the guy who fucking you know, developed the gameplay that is making people still fucking play GTA Five five years later and let
1: them make an extra 150 fucking million dollars? The point I was trying to make is that you can't pay every single person who ever yes. worked on the game residuals. Yeah, but you can't. The people who look, there are the people who make the game who come up with the ideas, who are the top-level actors, who did the things that really pushed this forward, and then there are the lower-tier guys, who are the guys who are doing jobs that the other guys can't do, you know, that they can't afford the time to do, or that they Jobbers. just, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Those people will will take this opportunity, run with it, get another job somewhere else, and one day, they'll rise up the ranks. That's the way the world works. But yeah. the people who are, who are busting their ass and put in the time and our CJ or our the director or whatever, we understand those people deserve compensation beyond the initial contract. And hopefully this will lead to that.
0: I really hope so. I really hope so. I think ultimately uh, a system that's based on the game's performance seems really fair to me. You yeah. know? Because then you're not you're not getting stuck with the, the bill if the game flops and it's like, alright, well it flopped. You don't get a bonus. Right. But if a game is, is the number one entertainment property of all fucking time, I feel like those people deserve a fucking kickback because they worked really hard and they delivered, you know? And yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there is internal rewards there. Like maybe they get to the seed money for a project they really wanted to make or maybe one of those guys got moved up to be a head developer on the next big project and he'll get a bigger paycheck. But even so, I, I definitely think that, you know, people deserve kickbacks for the fruits of their labor and i don't think it has to be an insane amount of money you know but i think like you know hey the, the game sold a million copies okay cool you get an extra 50 bucks 10 million copies you get an, you know whatever and whatever that line is wherever they decide is appropriate i think as long as they're getting something that seems fair so i think that's gonna wrap up the conversation here right yeah all right Good. Okay. cool So, before we head out, I'm going to give you guys a reminder of where you guys can find the show uh, all across the web. Um, You know, please, if you're an audio listener, give us a like on your platform of choice. Head over to iTunes. Give us a rating. It uh, really helps us out. If you guys are on YouTube, you can like the video, share it with a friend, subscribe to the channel, check out Pals Play. Go check out our Until Dawn Let's Play series that we're doing for Halloween. Let us know what you think about all the stuff we've got going on here at the Pals Network. Follow our sister show at The Comics Pals on social media. Keep up with all the stuff we've got going on. Uh, you can keep an eye out for our New York Comic Con coverage. We'll be tweeting and uh, Instagramming photos from the show floor. We'll have you know panel reactions, interviews with creators. Um, checking out games. It's going to be good stuff. So, if you're into comics, go check out the Comics Pals coverage of that stuff. Uh, if you're into games, we'll be doing plenty of game stuff as well. So, keep an eye, keep your eyes peeled there. And, um, you know, until next time, we'll catch you on the next episode of the Video Game Pals. Shit, actually, you won't see any of us next week.
1: You'll see Andy next week. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> Take care, guys. Peace.